Welcome to Frontlines, a weekly podcast produced by Legion Magazine, Canada's leading military history publication. Join us for stories and commentary on Canada's rich military past and present. I'm Stephen J. Thorne, and today we look at the wonder of space exploration. When I was young, the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo launches out of Cape Canaveral were family television events without parallel. There was a sense of awe surrounding those NASA missions, culminating years later in the triumphant moon landings. We followed every one, minute by transfixed minute, on a big old black and white TV with four legs, rabbit ears, and an outsized wood veneer cabinet. News anchor Walter Cronkite was the voice of space exploration in those days. It was as if he was right there in your living room, sharing the experience with you. Sometimes, in his folksy, understated way, he seemed as awestruck as any of us. I'm sure he was. Oh, it's terrific! The building's shaking! Glass window is shaking that we're holding it with our hands. Look at that rocket go into the clouds at 3,000 feet. The roar is terrific. Look at it going. You can see it. You can see it. The astronauts were household names John Glenn, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, yes, even Yuri Gagarin. At that time, TV shows such as the original Star Trek and Lost in Space sparked the imagination. Space, a final frontier. And here, among these former Navy, Marine, and Air Force pilots, were the real heroes of the last great frontier. They were heady, turbulent times. Martin Luther King Jr. and John F. Kennedy delivered epic speeches that inspired and uplifted. Kennedy challenged America, challenged all of us, to rise above the violence, petty politics, and the inherent failings of mankind to tap the best of our abilities and reach for the stars. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet, Kennedy told a crowd of 35,000 at Rice University on September 12, 1962. Its hazards are hostile to us all, he said. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind, and its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. We choose to go to the moon, he said. We We choose choose to go to the the moon moon in this this decade decade and and do do the the other other things, things. not Not because because they they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. I was three years old when Kennedy spoke those words, yet they have resonated throughout my life. His assassination 14 months later is among my earliest memories of the world beyond my backyard. In a brief presidency marked more by what might have been than what was, 
the space program would become one of his great legacies. Kennedy's promise was fulfilled just under the wire. On July 20, 1969, former naval aviator and test pilot Neil Armstrong became the first human to set foot on the moon, speaking the immortal words as he hopped from the last rung of the lunar module's ladder one, one small step, step for man, man. one giant leap for mankind. The International Space Station, assembled by Canadian technology, was further realization of Kennedy's dream. It has hosted more than 300 crew and visitors from at least 18 countries, including seven Canadians, since its first module was launched in 1998. Now, as more than 1,700 spy, military, and communications satellites orbit the Earth, the visionaries appear to be coming more from the research and private sectors. Names like Bill Gates, the late Steve Jobs, the late Stephen Hawking, and notably Elon Musk, a South African-born Canadian citizen and Queen's University dropout, whose successful space venture is revolutionizing exploration of the heavens. I watched Musk's Falcon Heavy rocket launch on my iPhone on February 6, 2018, with that same childhood wonder. The palm-sized device that I held, incidentally, wields many times the computing power of that which drove those moon landings and delivers a far superior picture than our old 24-inch monochromatic RCA. The miraculous dual touchdowns back on Earth of Falcon's reusable rocket boosters and the whimsical deployment of one of Musk's Tesla Roadsters from its payload bay headed for Mars while playing an endless loop of David Bowie's Life on Mars was the stuff of science fiction and an exercise in supreme chutzpah. Days later, Musk's cherry red roadster was beaming live images back to Earth, its space-suited crash test dummy still at the wheel. The fact that it was predicted to overshoot its Mars orbit and hurtle into space ad infinitum, or that a third booster missed its mark and hit the ocean at 482 kilometers an hour, was irrelevant to most anyone but Musk, whose Tesla company reported its largest ever quarterly loss the next day. There was a degree of eccentricity to it all. It was outlandish theater, technological feat, and just plain fun. It raised us out of daily life's routine and made us look again, however briefly, to the great beyond with hope and optimism. Musk has said that he thinks fundamentally the future is vastly more exciting and interesting if we're a spacefaring civilization and a multi-planet species than if we're not. You want to be inspired by things, he said. You want to wake up in the morning and think the future is going to be great. And that's what being a spacefaring civilization is all about. When he launched his SpaceX venture in 2002, Musk said he considered the odds of success at less than 10%. But risk has never deterred Musk. I just accepted that I would probably just lose everything, he said recently, but that maybe we would make some progress. If we could just move the ball forward, even if we died, some other company could pick up the baton and keep moving it forward. So that would still do some good. Just like the early NASA tests, there were spectacular failures. 
Musk even celebrated them with blooper reels because, after all, success is born of failure. Eventually, success did come, and when it came, it wowed. Now Musk is looking to fly four ships to Mars in 2024, two carrying cargo and two carrying crew, to find water and begin building the infrastructure for future missions and eventual colonization. I'm talking about sending ultimately tens of thousands, eventually millions of people to Mars, Musk said, and then going out there and exploring the stars. It's mind-boggling. The dream more than lives, it thrives. You have been listening to Frontlines. I'm Stephen J. Thorne. For this and other stories, visit legionmagazine.com frontlines. For more military history, subscribe to Legion Magazine at legionmagazine.com. 